Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. If you are able, please turn this morning to 1 Peter 1. That is going to be our passage this morning. And as Bill mentioned uh, before, if you're using the Pew Bibles, you can find it on page 1014. Uh, my encouragement to you this morning is you not just use the bulletin, uh, but use your own Bibles and see the Word of God for yourself. So this morning we'll be in 1 Peter 1, uh, continuing through chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. And so while you're turning there, uh, let me now again pray us as we open up God's Word. Our good and gracious Father, we come before you now. We exalt your name. We call you now as the Holy One, the one who is high and lifted up. We ask now that you, as it says in your word, you condescend to the contrite and lowly in spirit. And Lord God, we know that by your spirit, we need no other teacher. For it is your spirit that guides us into the knowledge of the truth of your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray now, Lord God, that you remove the veil from our eyes, that we may behold uh, the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. Enlighten the eyes of our heart, that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe? So we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. This, this week, as I was uh, meditating on this passage, and even now this morning, hearing the words of our hymn, Holy, 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 uh, the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 came to mind, is real for me, of truly the foolishness of preaching. Uh, that this morning, I'm here to proclaim to you the holiness of God, a thing that truly cannot be comprehended, at least not fully. And I'm calling you now to live as holy, a thing that you cannot do on your own. The message of holiness and the command to be holy can sound to us like a message of despair. But my prayer this morning for everyone here at the sound of my voice, my prayer is this, that the message and the song of Psalm 65, as you leave this room this morning, that this becomes your song. Psalm 65, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength Establish the mountains, being girded with might, hope, and holiness. As we heard last week from our brother Paul Miller, who wonderfully led us through the first half of First Peter 1 and the message of holiness that we have, uh, the hope that is to come, the salvation of our souls. And so this morning we are continuing with that theme of hope. So our passage begins in verse 13 with the connecting word, therefore, the message of hope is continuing, continuing. Therefore, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in our passage that will follow the next few verses, it is structured by three commands. Three commands. Be holy, live or conduct yourselves in fear, 
and love one another. Uh, and a message about hope to Christians who are suffering and under persecution, not necessarily from the state, but from the persecution of daily life for simply being Christians. Uh, it seems surprising that the message now turned into a message of being holy. I'm not sure about you, but I don't know if I have ever counseled someone in trials with the command to be holy, but that is exactly what Peter does here. He calls the Christians uh, in Asia Minor and the Christians today in the face of trial and persecution to be holy. So the theme of holiness and hope, two concepts we don't normally think about, but as we go through First Peter, Lord willing, and see how those themes play out, and even in the entirety of Scripture, hope and holiness become intertwined into one message. And so in this passage this morning, our future hope is the basis for our call to holy living, but as we go through the passage and see each imperative, each command, what is given is in this section the, the ground, the theological reason as to why we are to obey this command. And what each ground points us to is the holiness of God. And so what I'm going to do this morning in this passage, and this is my main point for this morning, is to show you that the holiness of God, the holiness of God is the hope of his people. So the focus of this, of this section is not so much how we live them out, but the why behind them. And so that's what I'll focus on this morning. So now let me read God's word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in on your, all your conduct. Since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Uh, so this morning, as we structure, uh, as we go through this passage, we'll be structured by three headings that are guided by the commands. Verses 14 through 16, holy identity. Verses 17 through 21, holy living. And 22 through 25, holy fellowship. Holy identity, holy living, and 
holy fellowship. Let's begin the first part with holy identity. Verse 14, as obedient children, so it begins with calling us, reminding us our identity, who we are. As obedient children, we are children of obedience, and as our Father is holy, so we are obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, but then we have the comparison in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And we have our quote from what we heard this morning from Leviticus. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So the focus, the focus of this first part for us, if we are under, to understand our holy identity, we must first understand the holiness of God. Uh, now, I could just give you a nice, short definition of the holiness of God, but uh, it's more fun if we see it for ourselves in Scripture. So, I know we have a smart group here. Let me see if you guys are still with me. When you think about the holiness of God, Old Testament passage, what passage comes to mind? Holiness of God. Shout it out. Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, right? Holiness of God. I heard another Isaiah around here. Well, we're not going Isaiah 6. That was just to check if you guys are with me. Instead, we're going to go to Exodus 3. So I would encourage you now to turn your Bibles to uh, Exodus 3. This passage is mostly known for uh, the story of the burning bush, Moses and the burning bush, uh, and the revelation of God's name. But this is in the Bible the first mention of the holiness of God. So we'll turn it now. If you are using the Pew Bibles, you can find it on page 46 there. So we begin by reading Exodus 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his, father, as his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to me, and God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take, off, take your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. The first mention of God's holiness in the Bible. Verse 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid. He was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to the good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel, of Israel out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. 
When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So there's a lot we could say on this passage. I'm going to limit myself to just what it says about the holiness of God. So there are two things, two things here that this shows what is the holiness of God. First, his transcendent lordship, transcendent lordship. And then the second one, his faithful lordship. The two things about the holiness of God, his transcendent lordship and his faithful lordship. So first, the transcendent lordship uh, is no coincidence, no coincidence that uh, the first mention of God's holiness in the Bible is at the revelation of his name, because those two things go hand in hand. The revelation of God's name, who he is, and his holiness, how we describe the very being of who he is. Who is God? He is. Uh, as you see in your English Bible, it says, I am or I am who I am. Others say it's Yahweh or Jehovah. That is uh, the covenant name of God. And so who is God? Well, as the, bur- the bush burned on its own, but it did not need the bush to continue to burn, God is independent. He is not dependent on anyone or anything. He has never been in want or in need. He is self-existent. There is no other power but his power. He has never grown tired. He is eternal. For he said to to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Those patriarchs were dead centuries before, but the Lord was reigning in the days of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was reigning in the days of Moses. He was reigning in the days of Peter, and he is reigning now because he is the eternal God, and that is what his name proclaims. In verse 15, his name is forever. He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So when he proclaimed, I am who I am, he said, do not change. I am not dependent on anyone or anything. There is no power stronger than mine. There is no one that can command me. I am eternal. I am constant. I do not change. And this, the proclamation of his name, is what sets God apart as holy. When we say transcendent, that's what it means, set apart, unique. In a class on his own, there is no one like our God. Second one, faithful. He is the faithful Lord. Another way we could say it, his covenant faithfulness, his steadfast love. Because what what does God say immediately after the mention of his holiness? In verse 6, after he says that the place you're staying is holy ground, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So God made a promise centuries before to the patriarchs of Israel. And now he had come to fulfill that promise that he made, to bring them into land flowing with milk and honey. And moved to compassion, he reveals his covenant name. And so as his name is forever, his faithfulness 
is forever. And so for the Israelites, this very moment in Exodus 3, the revelation of the holy name of God was the bedrock for the people of Israel. How many times in the Psalms do we hear uh, God's name as a source of thanksgiving and an object of praise? Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Psalm 33, 21, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. It was this very revelation that gave the people of Israel hope. So, brothers and sisters, who are you to put your hope in today? Put your hope in the God who is, who has all power, who gives life to all things. He holds the waters in the hollow of his hand. He knows the stars by name, and not one of them is missing because he calls them all. This is the God with whom we serve. This is the God who is holy. And so the Holy One is who we put our hope in, for he is faithful. So how do these two things come together? God's uh, transcendent lordship and his faithful lordship. His transcendence is what moves him to faithfulness. Another way we can say this is that by his glory, he always acts for his glory. And so why does God in this passage here in Exodus 3 act? Why does he move? Because it is his holiness that is on the line. He is the one who made the promise. The people did not uh, deserve to be saved, nor was a promise made to their fathers because the fathers themselves were perfectly faithful. God moved because if he did not, he would cease to be holy. What we need to know about the holiness of God is that God will never sacrifice his holiness. So when God again later on in Exodus proclaims his name to Moses, he proclaims the fullness of his attributes the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sins, but will by no means clear the guilty. So mercy, when God shows mercy, it comes from God's holiness as being absolute and free. He shows mercy to whom he wills. No one deserves his mercy. It proclaims his independence as the Holy One. But his wrath, his wrath comes as a necessity of his zeal for his own glory, and that is holiness, a zeal for his own glory. And that if he ever left one sin, just one sin unpunished, he would cease to be holy. And so if this is God's holiness, his holiness is his transcendent lordship and his faithful lordship. Uh, what does that say about us and the command to be holy? Uh, there's, there's much I can say here, and Lord willing, as we go through First Peter, we'll see the specifics on how to live holy. So I'm just going to say two things now to set uh, the path forward of the Christian ethics of what is holiness. So first, if we think about his transcendent Lordship that he has set apart, then we must know that our primary identity is those who are set apart. We are now in the world, but we're not of the world. So all of our actions flow from this understanding that we are now saints. We are now saints, as Peter calls us. We are now sanctified. We have now been set apart by the Holy Spirit. So for you, just think. How much do you desire to be like the world? How much does acceptance by your friends 
your coworkers, your neighbors, your peers motivate you in your actions? How much sin are you willing to tolerate in what you watch or what you listen to so that you can be in the know? Those are questions I cannot answer for you, but just things to think about in the world that we live in, that Christians are always to be set apart, that as our Father is holy, we are to look different to the world. And the world does not uh, define our identity. It is our Holy Father that calls us to be holy. So we cannot forget that the world is in rebellion against God. So any holiness, any likeness to God that the world sees in us will cause us to suffer, be persecuted in various forms. 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life will be, will be persecuted. That is a promise in Scripture. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So the second thing, as it pertains specifically to the message of 1 Peter, as God's holiness shows his faithfulness, so our holiness must show our faithfulness to him. And more and more in our culture, this will be tested, uh, our faithfulness to God. And so the question is, will you be faithful to proclaim the name of God? Or will fear of suffering and persecution cause you to deny his holy name? 1 Peter 3.15, what is the posture of the heart of a faithful evangelist, the ones who proclaims the name of God in the face of a sinful world? But in your hearts, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense for the hope, the hope that is in you. Hope and holiness. What is our hope in our evangelism? Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So be holy, live as those set apart, holding God in your hearts as holy. Okay, so let's move now to the second point here. The second point holy living with the command, live in fear. So verse 17, and if you call on him as father, if you're a Christian, that is true of you, if you call on him as father, the one who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, the one who judges impartially, judgment is coming. That is a reality. Just because God becomes your father does not mean he ceases to become your judge. He is a father to some, but he is the judge over all. And so with the knowledge that you will one day stand before the holy God, today, conduct yourselves with fear. So now we know from the Bible in places like Proverbs, we talk about fear, that there is a difference between uh, the sinful fear and godly fear. And those distinctions are true and correct. However, we must not forget that sinful and godly fear, there is a similarity in them because both Christians and non-Christians are called to fear. And what it is, what is a similarity is that the same sensation that comes from an awareness of a threat, a threat to your very existence, is both in godly fear and in sinful fear. They differ, though, in what they produce. 
So sinful fear, it produces, it paralyzes you. But godly fear, it alerts you. It sharpens your senses. It prepares your mind for action, makes you sober-minded, it makes you clear in thought. That's what godly fear produces in the Christian. So let me explain this with an example. Um, Parents, raise your hand if you have ever taught a kid to drive. Maybe currently right now you have high schoolers or former high schoolers, you have ever taught a kid to drive. Parents, if you ever got in the car with a high schooler, you know what fear is, okay? If my dad was here, he would be agreeing with you guys. Uh, the first time you get on the highway with your high schooler, uh, they start braking, accelerating, and you, that, that's fear, okay? That is fear. However, though, when you're teaching your child to drive, you're teaching them both to uh, fear the road, but also not fear the road. You want them not to drive with fear in such a way that it paralyzes them. They're afraid of every turn. They close their eyes. They have panic attacks. Uh, that is not how you're supposed to drive. But you also want them to drive with fear because you want them to drive with a proper understanding of the seriousness of what they are doing and the fatal consequences that can happen if you do not properly fear the road. So being distracted, talking on your phone, driving recklessly, it's not driving fearlessly, that's driving foolishly. So when you become a Christian, you are given a proper understanding of eternal realities. You know that the truth of heaven, you know the truth of hell. You know the truth of God's holiness, that without holiness you cannot see the Lord. And this is fear. It gives you clarity of thought and prepares your mind for action in the face of many trials and temptations that await the Christian in the Christian life. Uh, But let's continue now in verse 18 because uh, let's focus here on the grounds for these commands. So why are we to live in fear? Knowing, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with peripheral things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So again, we have, as our first command was a quote from Leviticus, we have another reference there to the sacrificial system, specifically the Day of Atonement. And so remember, I'm showing you that God's holiness uh, is the hope for his people. So how does this ground here uh, give us hope Give us hope to live in fear. So I'm going to say two things here, and they both start with P. Perfect and purpose. Perfect and purpose. So the first one, perfect. Uh, As we saw last week with the reference to gold and silver, costly worldly materials, we see it here again, another reference to gold and silver. While they are costly and they are valuable, they are not perfect, and though they are in in the Old Testament, in the presence of the holy, they themselves, gold and silver, are not holy. But Christ himself is perfect, and he himself is holy. So as God's name proclaims his transcendence and his faithfulness, so those two things come together in one, in God, the Holy Son. So when Moses was sent to reveal the name of God, Christ himself is the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God. For in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And Christ as God is holy. And when the word became flesh, he lived. He lived as the Holy One, perfect, perfect in every way, so that he himself could offer up himself as a perfect sacrifice. Unlike the lamb that was to be sacrificed year after year, and the priest, the high priest, to go in year after year, uh, Hebrews 7:27, Christ has no need like those high priests to offer up sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did it once and for all. Once and for all, when he offered up himself. So here's why this matters. Here's why uh, that word perfect matters. And this is your hope for holiness. Because these commands, you cannot obey. You cannot be holy. You cannot live in fear. You cannot love one another. These are only truly obeyed when you are united to the Holy One, the Son of God. And by your union with Christ, his perfection, his perfection becomes yours. And as the Holy One, he bore your sin on the cross. He bore the fullness of God's wrath so that there is no more for you to pay. It was a perfect sacrifice. Christ, as the perfect sacrifice, is your hope to now live, to now live in fear because Christ's perfect sacrifices removes that paralyzing fear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is your hope today if you are in Christ. So my friend, if you're here and you are, you are not a believer, so hear me now. If you want to know uh, what must you do to be saved, it's very simple. So listen. It's very simple. Once you hear the words from Peter himself in his first sermon in Acts 2, when the people were crying to Peter, what must we do to be saved? He proclaimed, everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When you call upon the name of the Lord, of the Lord, you are calling on Christ, the Holy One, the one who emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him who bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God. When you call on the name of Christ, you confess that he alone, as the Holy One, has the power to save you. And you can trust him that he can save you because he is the faithful one. So now let's move to the second one, purpose. Second reason to hope and live in fear, purpose. Look at verses 20 and 21. Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. So here, uh, why, does Paul, why does Peter bother to say that Christ was foreknown? 
Uh, his point here is just to say that Christ has been revealed to us. He's been revealed so that our faith and hope are in God. But the why, why the word foreknown? Uh, we saw that word earlier in uh, chapter 1, verse 2, that, uh, the foreknowledge of God the Father. Some of your translations may say he was chosen, and that's a correct translation, but uh, the, the word foreknown, what is that bringing out? It's purpose. Purpose. So we've heard purpose already mentioned in our service this morning in Ephesians 1. Uh, we see the word purpose throughout Scripture, like Isaiah 45, the purpose of God. And so what purpose is, when we talk about purpose, it is a decree of God. It is God's decree of what all of creation is going towards. It is God's ultimate goal for all things. Every small detail and the means that will accomplish that goal are in the purpose. So only a holy God can do this, for only a holy God has the wisdom and the power to accomplish such a thing and to declare and decree such a thing. And so saying that Christ was foreknown, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world is saying that this plan, this plan of redemption through Christ has always been the purpose. There was never another plan. And so what this means is for you is that your salvation, your salvation was sealed in God's eternal purpose from before the foundation of the world, before you had done anything good or bad. So you want to anchor for your soul this morning in any trial, in any situation, know this. God has set his holy love on you before the foundation of the world. And he made a promise to you. He made a promise that in Christ, by the fullness of his power, he himself would see that you would make it to the end in faith, through any trial, through any temptation, through any persecution. He made a promise to you that his love would be set on you and his holy power would come through and for you. And this is the promise he made to you before the foundation of the world. It was sealed in eternity past. And that is your motivation, that is your hope today, to live in fear and to be holy. That is his purpose. He wants you to be with Christ and live for Christ forever. Brothers and sisters, there is no power in hell. There is no scheme of the devil. There is no shackles of sin that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He has done this. He has sealed it. He has promised it. He is the Holy One, and that is your hope. So stop it and, and think, just right now, think. Every small detail had to align. Every detail that happened the moment you believed, when you heard the message of the gospel of Christ, everything that ha happened perfectly for you to be in that pew, for that evangelist to come to you, for your parents to tell you this message, everything aligned. And he stopped and think, you realize you had no control of it. But yet this was the plan from before the foundation of the world, that the Holy One set his holy love on you. And he made an eternal promise, and that eternal promise was made true in time. So this is your hope to live in fear. The Holy Father chose you. The Holy Son accomplished that. And now the Holy Spirit lives in you so that you have the power to live in fear, Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his purpose, for his good pleasure. So live in fear because your eternal future, your eternal future has been sealed in eternity past. 
eternal realities cause you to live in fear today? Brothers and sisters, now let's look at the final one here. Uh, The final section, Holy Fellowship, verses 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So the mention there of purification and obedience, that's pointing us back to to verse 2. The sprinkling of blood and the obedience to Jesus Christ. Simply that saying is when you were saved, when you became a Christian, when you were set apart, when you were set apart as holy, what are we to do now? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So it seems pretty straightforward. It's, we've been born again. Our hearts are now new, so now we have the power uh, to love one another. But then why do we have this quote here? So this quote here in verse 24, uh, well, let's start in 23. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and the abiding word of God. And then a quote from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. For all flesh is like grass, and, the, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Uh, so what does the word remaining forever have to do with us to love one another? And so I think what this, why Peter is using this quote, I think this is what he's getting at here. Uh, this section then, it, it culminates then in, in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. So he begins a section here talking about us, the people of God, as the holy temple, us as a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see that in, as we go through 1 Peter. And so if that is our identity, what we are called to, uh, if we look at what's really the whole message of that quote in Isaiah 40, the context of when that quote is found, it is given to God's people when they are in exile. And he gives them this quote as a hope. And to sum up the whole message of this, this section in Isaiah, the, the main point and the hope is this, is that God's glory is coming. And it will soon be revealed. And that is to be their hope. And so he anchors it beginning, and I'll sum up Isaiah 40, which is one verse. Verse 25 of Isaiah 40. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. To whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Hope and holiness. They were not to hope in idols, in idols of gold and silver, for the idols of the nation they lived in, but they were to hope in the holy God. So the word or the message of the world is to hope in what is now, making the world best now, because now is all that the world has. The world's glory, like the flowers and the grass, it is enticing, but the glory of the world will fade It is not forever. So as people of what is to come, the point with Peter is saying he's drawing our attention to our identity. We are a people of not just that we have been born of in imperishable seed now, because we are people of a living hope. He's saying that our identity is in what is to come. That we live now, we are here in the world now, we are people of what is to come. So what he is saying is this, if we are people of what is to come 
loving one another earnestly is how we keep our brother and sister in step with our future hope. That we're not to be enticed by the glory of the world that one day will fade. When we love one another, what we are doing is we are just giving one another just a small, a small and imperfect taste of the glory that awaits us when love will be perfect and fellowship will be holy because we stand before the Holy One. And so when we, when we love one another, we're encouraging our brother and sister and just giving them just a small taste now, saying this is imperfect now, but there is more to come because God's glory is coming and God's glory will be revealed. So continue to love one another earnestly and persistently. So we are God's gift to each other that we help one another endure to the end. And so as we love one another, we help one another set our mind fully on the grace that we brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the holiness of God is the hope for you today. It is the hope of his people. We hope in a God who has set us apart and is faithful. So we live as set apart and faithful We hope in the holy work and person of Christ so that we live today in holy fear. And we hope in the holy fellowship of the Holy Spirit so that we love one another because of the hope that is to come. So the holiness of God is your hope this morning. Brothers and sisters, let me conclude with reading you the final words of Isaiah 40, this message for the people in exile and hope. Uh, in suffering that was their hope. Let this be your hope this morning. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he gives strength. Even youth shall grow faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we proclaim now Holy, holy are you, God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. We thank you for the reminder of our identity, that you have set us apart, and that we are people of a living hope, uh, of something that is to come. We have been born by the imperishable seed. So, Father, as we hear your word this morning, I pray for everyone here uh, that we set our hope on nothing else but you, the Holy One, and that by setting our hope on you, Lord God, that we have the power to live as the Holy Ones now, Lord God, that you cleanse our minds from the things of this world, but that we set our hope and our joy and our satisfaction only in you, Lord God. So help us now do this. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.